0: Welcome to the Finding Fertile Ground podcast, where I discover stories of grit, resilience, and connection. I'm your host, Marie Gigi, and this podcast is brought to you by Fertile Ground Communications. We help organizations and people discover what makes them special and help them share that with the world. Look us up on Fertile Ground Communications.com. Today is the final episode of my Three Men of Color Redefining fatherhood series. My guest today is Ken Harge, a black man living in Connecticut who lays tile by day and is a creator and entrepreneur in his spare time. During COVID-19, he's been writing a symphony called The Healing. Ken comes from a fractured family, and he believes that most of society's ills are caused by a lack of self-esteem in men. Hello, Ken. How are you doing today?
1: Great. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. How has COVID-19 affected you?
1: Initially, it uh, shut down a job that I was on. I'm uh, By day, I am a tile contractor, tile installer. I was on a job with a big union company, and we were up in Maine, which from me is uh, six hours north of me, and we usually stay for a week, and they shut the job down right at the beginning of the quarantine, and uh, it was rough at first. I've had uh, some work, enough to keep me going since then, but the fact that can't really go anywhere except to get some takeout food. And I can cook, but cooking has gotten to be a drag really quick, <laughs> especially when you're cooking for one. Like the monotony of it is is sucky. I uh, can't entertain at my house. And so, you know, that, that's that been a drag and seeing all the businesses down. So I guess I'll say I'm at uh 50%. Do you live alone? For me personally,
0: it'd be hard for yeah. me to live alone right now. Is that yeah. hard?
1: Yeah. yeah, you get bored well,
0: with yourself, probably.
1: Here we are. And I have tons of things to keep me busy. I have big projects up. I always have multiple big projects going. But still, I managed to uh, find a way to get bored. Yes. <laughs> I'm good are. at that.
0: Exactly. So can you share with our listeners about your
1: life? Well, I grew up in Waterbury, Connecticut. I was born here, lived all my life here. I always tell people that are familiar with Waterbury to not hold it against me. <laughs> it's kind of a big city with a knucklehead mindset. We're not progressive in advance as I think we should be. I am an author. I am a musician. I am currently working on a symphony, which is a gigantic project for me. And I am a, a playwright. And I am a guy with a lot of opinions, about what's going on in the world today. And I'm not super shy about sharing what those are. (laughs) Well,
0: that's my next question. Yeah, here you go. (laughs) Yeah. How are you feeling about what's going on in the world and the recent horrible violent deaths by police that have been inflicted on Black people and with protests? How are you feeling about things, Ken?
1: I mean, kind of a funny place. I am obviously a black man, Uh, your listeners might not be able to tell, but they can take my word for it. It's heartbreaking to see all that's going on. And I am a person that does not pull the race card easily but I pull it when I see it needs to be pulled. And I am super offended when people say or imply in so many words that, oh, there is no systemic racism. And almost as if I just wrote a post the other day that a lot of times people feel like saying something is racist is like calling them a bastard. Like, no, it's not. It's an actual thing. And there's actual ways you can see it. And so often I think there's an attempt. I think a lot of times, maybe even most of the times, it's not a conscious attempt, but it's an attempt out of, for some reason, white people often feel defensive. It's very odd to me, but I've noticed it quite a bit. And there's this thing of all lives matter. I just unfriended a guy who, we weren't really friends. Uh, We went to grammar school and high school together. We were friendly. And he said a couple of things that, oh, well, things were worse under Obama, with racism, and all lives matter. And to me, all lives matter is almost profane, because I think that probably with very little exception, what a person is trying to do when they say all lives matter is to tell black people to shut up, forget what you're seeing, and move along. It's kind of a coward way of saying that what you feel doesn't matter. Absolutely. That's where I am. I just wrote a a huge, huge article about racism. It's called The Notion of Superiority, which is a phrase used by a scholar some years ago who studied racism and said, I'll paraphrase that, one people cannot enslave another people for four centuries and not come out of that with a notion of superiority. My premise for the article is that there's this notion of superiority, almost like air in America, and it wafts through the air and people breathe it in. And I think that a lot of times, just like real air, like we don't even pay attention to the fact that we're breathing, but we are, and it goes into us, and it feeds this racist thing that's going on.
0: I am with you on that. And my first guest that I interviewed, she said that she got into a discussion with a woman who was saying all lives matter, and yeah. and she was sharing how the police had been called on her and her family several times, and she shared this with this woman, and this woman said, well, they were just concerned about you. <laughs> it's like telling Black people, like, you know, yeah, just move on with your life, you know, racism yeah. is over, you know? Yeah, yeah
1: ignore what you're feeling. Yeah, exactly. Ignore what you're seeing.
0: Yes, what you're experiencing. Do you remember when you first learned about race? What did your parents teach you about race?
1: Well, as a very young kid, I knew what black and white were, but I grew up from the time I was in second grade in a neighborhood where we were one of maybe two or three black families on the entire Long Street. So from the time... I was very, very young. We always had what white kids had. And that really informed me. I've talked about it in my book, in my play. And so unlike kids who grew up in the projects, you know, one neighborhood over who uh, lived in an area where there were all Black families, we were different. And so it has informed how I've lived my life. I've never felt intimidated by race I operate in a world where I'm almost always the only black guy, and it's not intimidating to me because i I know just intuitively how to operate in that world. However, being black in America, of course you're going to experience racism of one kind or another, and, and I have but the thing that I think keeps me going is my mindset that I expect to be treated how I want to be treated, in other words. Um. What what generally happens in my experience is that you tend to get what you expect to get. However, that does not protect you always. Now, there there are times when racism comes up and uncomfortable things happen to you when you're followed in a store. When there's been times when I my trade takes me in some very nice areas. And there's been a couple of times when I've been pulled over because somebody called the cops on me and said they didn't think I belonged there. And then there's subtle things that I've seen it enough that I think I can identify it where I go to someone's house and I'm a, I'm a tile installer. And to be fair, there's not a lot of black tile installers. There just isn't. I'm one of the few. Mm-hmm. So I go to people's house and they can't say crap you're a black guy can you do tile so what they say is so are you by yourself i'm there to set up to set up and put the plywood down or whatever and they say so are you going to be the guy doing the tile and i'm yeah (laughs) i'm really good at dealing with people and Uh, you know i get them laughing quick but i can identify that oh no black people don't do it
0: right i guess you know oregon is a very white state and portland's a very white city and i and I don't know if I've ever been to Connecticut, but I kind of picture Connecticut being very similar, that being a black man in Connecticut may be very similar to being a black man in Portland or Oregon.
1: <laughs> and uh, uh, Connecticut is very, it's very diverse. Is the oh, word is it I really? Wanted. The town I live in, Waterbury, was a town of about 125,000 or so. So it's, it's a city. Uh-huh. And there are big pockets of black folk. There's a huge influx of Albanians. There's the neighborhoods where uh, the Hispanic people live. And then you go to the big cities like uh, Hartford or New Haven, Bridgeport. There's a lot of minorities there. But then there's in all the affluent areas, they're predominantly white. And there's a lot of affluent areas in Connecticut. Yeah,
0: that's kind of my impression of it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like living in Connecticut?
1: Nope. No? Really? <laughs> uh, well, primarily because I don't like the, the winters. Oh. And I've been trying to get out of here forever. And oh. my comfort level keeps me here. But I would love to get out of here. Where do you want to go? Some place where there's never snow or almost <laughs> almost never snow. I like cities. I think I'd like to live in a city. Uh-huh. I think I'm kind of an urban guy. Maybe
0: California?
1: Probably not California, mm-hmm. probably maybe the Carolinas. Uh-huh. I even talked to a friend of mine, a Facebook friend, we've become friends who lives in Albuquerque, and to hear her talk about it, I never thought about it. It sounds like an amazing, amazing place, hmm. something like that. If they get snow, like it's gone by 12 o'clock in the afternoon, or maybe even south, further south, I'd consider parts of Florida. Maybe not until COVID's over. <laughs> yeah, oh for sure for sure
0: <laughs> you don't want to go anywhere near there right, right now I, I think i have
1: a lot of time to prepare the way <laughs> I know. it's looking
0: I know. So on your website you say you believe you are here on this planet at this time to speak your mind and that's what you do how has that gotten you into trouble and how has
1: it served you well well i learned at home my parents were old-fashioned our old-fashioned My father was a bully. He was like over the top. He uh, earned a huge place in my book and my play talking about our very troubled relationship. So I couldn't speak my mind much at home. And that kind of prompted me to speak my mind everywhere else. (laughs) Somehow it didn't suppress me. It made me this guy (laughs) who couldn't be suppressed. And I remember in grade school at debates even though I was, I was never, I was kind of in the middle with kids. I wasn't one of the cool kids, but I wasn't an outcast. I was kind of in mm-hmm. the middle. But in the debates, I was that guy because I was always good as long, far back as I can remember. I was always good at expressing myself. And then I got into music, learned how to play piano, took lessons for a little while. Further along, I started a blog years ago when Blogger was popular and From there, I thought I wanted to do a TV talk show. So I don't know if they have it out in Portland, but they have public access TV here. And so I started a TV show and I started writing an actual script for my 30-minute show every week and got to become an even better writer, got a lot of compliments and whatnot. And from that, I started writing more detailed blog posts and eventually it, uh, Got me into uh, music production. I wrote a book. I wrote and performed in a one-man play. I have another two books on the way. I have another play on the way. I keep at it, so it's it's it served me well.
0: Didn't you win an award recently for music you'd composed? I think I saw that.
1: I composed music for a couple of films. Oh, that's what um, I think. Yeah, this was probably before you and I had become friends. I composed music for a. Sh- short film. It had been something on my bucket list. I'm a very jump in and figure it out kind of guy. And I never had done that before, but I I knew I could do it. So I figured it out, did a music score for a short film called Samuel's Got a Sweet Tooth. It has gotten accolades literally all over the globe. And in one film festival, I did get nominated for best film score.
0: That's it. That's what I read. Well, I and was it was just, an
1: honor just to be nominated.
0: Yes, that's amazing. For your first time, that's that's pretty first amazing. Time, yeah. So what what is your musical style like?
1: My musical style is more like R&B, soul music, hip-hop, funk, like that kind of music. Mm-hmm. But when I did the film score, the guy wanted more orchestral music. Mm-hmm. So I'm a quick study. I'm not you know, a classical pianist, but... I can approximate it good enough that people might think I am. Wow. And so I did that, and with technology, I could play all the strings and cellos and all of that stuff on my keyboards, and so I figured it out.
0: And so the symphony that you're writing, I take it, is a classical symphony? or
1: It is a good reflection of me. Based on my experience doing film scores, I've actually done two. I've accumulated a huge library of the sounds to play on the keyboard, orchestral sounds and whatnot. They call them sample libraries. And it is largely classical, but there's also contemporary music mixed in, which is a good reflection of me. It's called The Healing. And I did a a little bit of research about symphonies and know that they are four movements, And the healing is about the pandemic. And the first movement is life as we knew it. The second movement is the infection. The third movement is life as we know it. And the fourth movement is the healing. Wow, that sounds like a wonderful project. It is, and it's very, I find that music and writing are very cathartic for me. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Who are your musical influences?
1: Well, I think uh, Quincy Jones is the godfather of the universe when it comes to music production. Earth, Wind & Fire, Stevie Wonder, Babyface. The Temptations, you know, kind of a wide range. Uh-huh. Jay-Z, uh-huh. You know, I like I like hip-hop too. And so I, I have a fairly diverse range and uh, I'm starting to enjoy even uh, classical music more. I look forward to things opening up where I can attend my first symphony performance. Oh. It'll be very educational for me as well.
0: Have you ever heard of Pink Martini? I have not. You might look them up. They're from Portland originally, they use a lot of different musical influences and the the leader is a is a pianist, a classically trained pianist, but it's very eclectic music. I think you might like it.
1: Yeah, I'll have to yeah. check it out. I'll send you Pink a link. Martini. Yes. Yeah.
0: Thinking back on your life, uh, what obstacles have you overcome?
1: The immediate thing that comes to mind is the relationship with my father. He was, I mean, he did some, he did things right. He and my mother are still married. So I never lived in a house without a father, like far too many black families have done. So I always had that structure, but he was also a bully. And, you know, he'd beat me up for the expression on my face. Like Mm. literally, I couldn't express myself much and always had, I had to learn how to tiptoe around him. And I was always a smart kid. So I I mostly learned how to do that. And and my mother let it happen. Mm. She she couldn't fight him to the ground, but I felt like she could have and should have protected me. And so I've always had to deal with the feeling of feeling like it wasn't worth it for my mother to protect me and so you go out into the world with no emotional foundation under you I'm an emotional orphan I say oh, I raised man. myself emotionally and did the best I could do I was always very inquisitive and I loved to read since I was a young young kid and so I've always learned to educate myself and grow 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 and I've evolved a lot over the years because of it but overcoming that lack of self-esteem. And even saying that out loud is funny to me because I don't present like a typical low self-esteem person, but I know that my troubles are because of that. And I know it's because I never had the support under me to have parents. They're like, "We're behind you. Uh, we support you. We love you unconditionally." Like there was, there was none of that, and so uh, I have fought with it in a number of ways. But then the even the upside of that, because I've learned to use all of this to my advantage, is I am now. They say to teach what you need to learn. I am probably eighty percent done with it. A uh, course for men on developing their self-esteem, which I think that can literally change the face of the planet. If men have self-esteem, they don't smack their wives. They don't abuse their children. They don't go out in the street and do violence. I think they don't even go out and do terrorism. I think it's only broken men who do those things. And I think ultimately it comes down to low self-esteem and the fact that it's never been safe in this world for men to have feelings. We're taught to suppress them. I was taught to suppress them. You know, get smacked if, you know, you, you cry over, get smacked if you cry over getting smacked, literally.
0: Mm.
1: So like that, that's what I've had to overcome.
0: Do you still have a relationship with your father or?
1: I haven't had a conversation with my father in probably 20 years. And over religion, I haven't had a relationship with my mother in probably seven or eight years.
0: Uh, because she's very religious.
1: Yeah. And so, uh, we used to be, they still are Jehovah's witnesses. And, you know, I got kicked out, which in retrospect, I'm super happy I did. (laughs) So my mother won't speak to me and I have no relationship with my father. And so, you know, even in that way, I'm, you know, orphaned, but you know, everything for a reason, that's the byline in my book and play, which are the same topic. And if I had a lovely, supportive father and mother, I am positive I would not have turned out to be the creative person that I am. I am positive Perfect. that I would not have become the writer that I've become. And with that, I can speak to people in a way that people who understand it can speak. I can speak to hurt people and they know I know the language. I can speak to lonely people and they know he, he, knows, he knows what it is. And so it, it's all been for a reason.
0: Yeah. And so your course, when do you think your course will be ready for uh, self-esteem for men? I think that's really critically necessary in our world.
1: Thank you. you. I'm hoping to have it, the beta version of it live. I'm going to say before the end of August. And I'll have a link to it on my website, KenHardish.com.
0: Great. Well, it seems like you've been really busy creating on a different a number of different levels. So yes. uh, you strike me as a highly creative person.
1: That's me. That's how I get all my stuff out of me. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, I pop.
0: Yes, exactly. How do you like to spend your spare time when you're not creating? Or how do you relax?
1: I don't relax a lot. <coughs> <laughs> but when I do, <laughs> I love documentaries. I turned off my cable because it was killing so much of my time. And I knew for years that, bro, you can't watch that much TV and do the things you want to do with your life. So I cut it off, which has helped immensely. But I still watch too much Netflix.
0: <laughs> yeah. What do you watch on Netflix? Do you have any recommendations?
1: Along the Black Lives Matter vein, 13th uh-huh. by uh, Ava DuVernay is absolutely phenomenal. How They See Us, I believe. Oh, that's The documentary really good. about the Central Park Boys is... Yeah is shattering how mm-hmm. she, in fact she did that uh that film as well she's a phenomenal director
0: she
1: is I'll watch anything from as diverse as that to cooking shows <laughs> <laughs> I just watched a great documentary about David Foster who uh is a producer he's guy behind Chicago's most famous hits Celine Dion Andre Bocelli Josh Groban he's he's I think Quincy is is the godfather, but David Foster is his first lieutenant.
0: So what what mistakes have you made in your life, and what have you learned from them?
1: I got married (laughs) when I was a a young man. I was Uh in my early 20s to a woman who was 10 years older than me. I was her second marriage. She had kids that were half my age, and it was way more than... I could handle and way more than she could handle. I was a terrible husband. She was a terrible wife. Eventually, she uh, got smart and left me. And just like getting kicked out of Jehovah's Witnesses, thank God she did. (laughs) (laughs) Although I didn't feel that way initially, I Uh was absolutely traumatized Uh when she left. It took me a year and change to get over it. And now I am so happy that she did. That was probably the biggest mistake. I've made a bunch of smaller mistakes.
0: Were you raised Jehovah's Witness through your childhood as well?
1: We began studying with them when I was, I had just graduated the eighth grade. So I was 13. I was a witness for like 14 years. So it was a big part of my formative years. It informed me quite a bit. And like everything else, like I don't regret it, but I couldn't imagine it's, it has washed the taste for any kind of religion out of my mouth for life. I kind of wow. like that saying.
0: Yeah, yeah <laughs> I might so have to write
1: know, that down. Write, write it
0: down. That's yes. uh, What I know about Jehovah's Witnesses is if you leave, then people are not supposed to talk to you.
1: Well, it's that if right. you get kicked out.
0: If you get kicked out. Oh, that's right. okay. So if you leave on your own, they can still talk to you? Yes. I see. it's yeah,
1: one of those things. Uh, but they're huh. very, very extremely devout and strict. And uh-huh. one thing to their credit, when they say, talk about following the Bible, that's exactly what they mean. It's not optional, uh-huh. like it is with uh, most other religions. Uh-huh. Where like, ah, you don't really have to do that stuff. As a witness, you damn sure do.
0: Uh-huh, right. I don't think I would fit in very well. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I
1: Personally. wouldn't fit into anything now.
0: So what are you most proud of?
1: On the one hand, my creative achievements. I've done some phenomenal things. I jumped in and wrote a one-man play. It's called You Are Here for Something Great. Uh, most even accomplished actors never do a one-man show. I did. I wrote a full-length novel based on the same story, which is part of my life. In I had to expand and make uh, fictional characters because I haven't lived enough, apparently, to fill out a full novel. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my music accomplishments. And I'm also very proud of I've always wanted to have children, but it was never in the cards. I never wanted to just be like a weekend dad. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have a proper family, and but it, just, it was just never right. Maybe 10 years or so ago, I kind of felt internally the call to volunteer with big brothers and uh, met this kid, Prince. He was 13 at the time. He was always in trouble at school. There's always mischievous stuff like talking in shenanigans, but he'd get kicked out of school, which is very problematic actually, as I think about it, like nearly every week. And I stayed with him, a woman I was dating at the time, like it got to the point where I couldn't see I was doing any good. I was getting frustrated. She's a mother. She said, trust me, you are doing good. Huh. I stayed with it, stayed with it. And eventually he turned his life around. You know, he's gainfully employed. A month or two ago, he came by here with his brand new car he got, and he's you know he's a great kid now. And I don't know that he would be had it not been for me. And so that may be my proudest moment.
0: That is an incredible accomplishment to be proud yes. of to help help a young person. Yes. Excellent. What is one of your superpowers?
1: Oh, I can tell you that instantly. <laughs> My superpower is sensitivity. Yeah. I am very super, super clear on that. I wrote a meme about it a few years ago. I used to believe, it's so funny the correlation between this and superheroes on TV. A lot of times superheroes, uh, when they're young, they find this ability they have, but they don't know how to use it right. And it's awkward and it's troublesome until they learn how to harness it and focus it. And then it becomes that thing that they can do good with. And so for many, many years, I'm an unusually sensitive man. And people say, oh, you're too sensitive. Not like in a feminine kind of way, but just like I'm I'm, I'm, I'm hypersensitive about stuff. I do get my feelings hurt easily. <laughs> And eventually it dawned on me that sensitivity is not a weakness, it's it's my strength. And it's the thing that informs every creative thing that I do. It informs me even on my job as a tile installer. Like I knew barely nothing when I got into it. But because I didn't want people to think I was a scrub, I learned how to get better and better and better. And I always wanted people to say, you're awesome. So I got better at it. My music, when I started, people said, oh, it was, it was raggedy. And so I learned to get better. My writing was not so good. I learned to get better because I was always sensitive about what people think. And additionally, I can sense like, not in a psychic kind of way per se, but like if you walk in a room, I could usually tell like, what's the matter? Sure. Like I could tell there's something wrong. That is absolutely my superpower
0: especially for a man i think that yes. that you know because it's not really cultivated in men like it is in women no not at all no and my my father is very he's a very sensitive man he was a he was a social worker he pursued social work probably because he was pursuing his sensitivity and
1: right.
0: and i also am the mother of three sons so yeah. i really believe in cultivating that in men
1: yes It's super yeah. important
0: yeah what do you think what do you think parents can do to cultivate sensitivity in their sons
1: I think that parents have to allow boys to be human and not feel like they have to be tough all the time. To tell a boy that boys don't cry to me is almost emotional abuse. And and if it's not emotional abuse, it's setting them up to be emotionally abusive or to think low of himself that if I can't express my feelings, my feelings must not matter. And so that feeds on itself. So to encourage boys to have a full range of feelings, they should be allowed to be fully feeling human beings and to embrace those qualities that for so long have been uh, held to be strictly for for girls and women.
0: I like what you said earlier about self-esteem being at the root cause of a lack of self-esteem being at the root cause of terrorism and bullying yes. and all these things and yes. I wonder how um, whether you have opinions about the police police uh bureaus in this country and that issue self-esteem and sensitivity.
1: It's not so much about self-esteem with the police department. First of all, I'll give my uh, my disclaimer. <laughs> I have friends like Legitimate friends that I have their phone number that come to my house that are police men and women. I know there's, I think most cops are good. But what happens, even to the good ones, but the good ones can control it. When you put a badge on a person's chest and a gun on their waist and the right to use it, it changes people and it makes them think that they're the boss, which is exactly the wrong thing to do. I think we have to recondition the police force across the nation to really reconnect with the mandate of protect and serve and that you are not the boss. You are here to be of service and their connect, their interaction with every single person they meet has to be, how can I be of service to you? And if that is what drives them, it will change everything and there's a bunch of reforms i think that have to be made i just saw on uh, youtube about cops and and i write about it in my article one of the problems is the union where cop does something lousy and the union with their power they get they get the cop off the union has to be has to serve the interests of the public too and it can't be separate they can't be only thinking about the cops Because then it creates this thing where the cops start getting off with things, and that starts making them think that they're our boss and can do whatever they want. And that whole, the whole foundation of why they are there and how they should conduct themselves, that whole thing needs to be reconditioned. And In some cases, their their policies and whatnot need to be trashed almost entirely.
0: So think of yourself at age 21. What would you say to that person now?
1: I would say don't get married to that (laughs) woman because it wasn't that long after that I got married. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't do that one. Pay your bills on time and save money. Because of how I was raised and very restrictive, when I got out of the house, I actually had to run away when I was 19 years old because my father would have murdered me had I had the gall to move out before he said I could. So my response, I never did drugs. I've never been an, an alcoholic. My response was to spend money irresponsibly. That was kind of my drug. Kind of stuck with me. Really? I've, uh, <laughs> I've grown to make enough money to pay for my habits, so to speak. <laughs> <clears throat> but
0: you like to spend money. You're addicted to spending money, maybe? I am.
1: Yeah. I am.
0: On, on to- what do you buy? Like toys? Like, you're like uh,
1: <laughs> I mean, you- <laughs> for a while there was that, but now... My studio is super well-equipped. I don't need uh, anything up there. Uh-huh. But I'm a big fashion guy. I love clothes. If uh the woman of my dreams, like I live in this house, a three-bedroom house, she wouldn't be able to bring in much more than her slippers. <laughs> like there's <laughs> no room in here. I love clothes. I have yeah. shoes, sneakers, suits, everything. I love, love, love clothes. Those are probably the biggest <laughs> where I spend money. Do you ever get rid of clothes? Do you ever give them away or... Um not much. Not I probably much. could do a little bit. I always really? want to have a lot of clothes I need choices. Uh-huh. You need uh, choices. Got to <laughs> have choices, Marie. Because you know your sneakers have to match the stitching right. in your jeans.
0: Absolutely. It can't be a
1: different color.
0: Well, it seems like that gives you joy. So, it you know, does. according to you know, the Marie Kondo method, it's all about joy. So yeah. if it gives you joy, you should keep them, right? Yes, yes. So what about like recently during the pandemic? Have you been spending less money? I I mean, I feel like I've been spending less money. Is that A lot you less. probably been shopping for clothes or anything?
1: Right. Yeah, I can't buy my... Uh couple of pairs of new sneakers that I need every summer because they have to be super fresh. You need every possible color combination. So I haven't done that because what's the point? I have cut back, said before, I I actually am a pretty good cook, but because I live alone, it's kind of a drag for me, at least to cook for myself. So there's the spot that I used to always go to. It's kind of like Cheers. It's like a pub, a decent <laughs> restaurant. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I literally know everybody. And I could go in anytime and always know somebody. And so I was there like three, four, five times a week. Now mm-hmm. I only go there a couple times a week for takeout.
0: Where can listeners connect with you online?
1: At Ken Harge on Facebook. Same thing on Instagram. My main website, which I'm going to start maintaining a lie, I haven't been good to it, is kenharge.com. That will be the best place to see what I'm up to and see the new projects coming through. I also have klhmusic.com, which is a music site where I have uh, instrumentals Hmm. that I've created for singers and rappers who want to buy the music track if they can't? don't have access to a producer or whatever.
0: So thinking about my subtitle, Grit, Resilience, and Connection, what do those words mean to you? And how could someone increase their resilience or their grit?
1: Excellent. How I maintain my resilience is to remember why I am here, which might be a challenge for a lot of people who don't know why they're here, but everyone is here for something great and It is well worth finding out what that is. And a lot of times people get tripped up because when I say that, they think, well, um, I have no interest in being a movie star or a rock star or an athlete or a billionaire and think that's the only reason. But there's a gazillion ways to be great. And, And there's something for everyone. And if they seek that out and find it and work at that it can keep you going. I find that for me, like I deal, I've dealt with depression uh, on and off. I I say that I am a high functioning depressed person. Sometimes it gets really scary. Sometimes, you know, it's it's always some level of always there somehow. A lot of times just under, like an undercurrent that's beneath everything. I find that for one, uh, writing, I have said many times has literally literally saved my life Mm -hmm. because I get all of my stuff out of me. And so if a person is not a writer they can journal and and just get their stuff out of them, I find that giving voice to your feelings can be extremely healing, even if they're the only one who hears it. And another thing that people might try that, that I did one day, I don't know how it came to me, but did, I was coming home from work one day and it just occurred to me to talk to myself as my father, mm. I had about an hour drive home and I said all the things that I wish he had said. Oh, and wow. I cried three quarters of the way home and in my driveway for another half an hour. But it occurred to me how important it was for me to hear that out loud. Yeah. And so people can give themselves that gift. If they have something that ails them, something that troubles them, talk about it out loud literally out loud and hear it and and it can give you a great deal of satisfaction and validation to 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 be validated because at the end of the day we we all want to know that we matter and and that we're seen and heard and and sometimes you might have to be the person that sees and hears yourself and 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 it's valuable i'd say that writing and and speaking to yourself and if there's a person who's done you wrong, be that person and say the right things that they should have said to you.
0: I love that idea. Yeah, you know, you're the second interview in a row I've had with a man who had a difficult relationship with their father. Back to your the, the course that you're planning, I think that that's another really important factor, you know, training men to be sensitive. Yes, Helps them be better fathers.
1: It does. My father could have used it. His father, we all do what we know to do. Um, my father's father was a bully to him. He did. I. I am convinced that that we all do the best we know how to do, no matter what it is. Literally, he did what he knew to do. He was a good provider, and and he responded. I think to me the way he knew how to respond. Sometimes I wonder if he saw me in himself and couldn't bear to see it. And he was striking out at it because he couldn't look at it. But had he had self-esteem, he he, he couldn't have treated me the way he did. Uh-huh. Did you have siblings? I did. I'm uh-huh. the oldest of four. My brother got it probably as bad as I did. When my sister came along, he had lost a lot of steam, not physically, but uh-huh. I don't know, somehow, maybe just because she was a girl, I don't know. But uh, she got it a lot easier. Uh-huh. And then my last sibling, there was a little bit of a gap several years, and uh, she got all, all away with murder. Oh, like really? It was, it was a, child. It was unbelievable <laughs> Like how, what she got away with. So, Are you still in touch with your siblings? Two of them, my two uh-huh. sisters.
0: Uh-huh.
1: We have a very, very fractured family. My brother and I don't speak. So I've learned that I believe that family is what family does.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's a huge, huge way that you've been resilient, that you survived your yeah. your difficult childhood and your difficult yeah. family, nuclear family. My final question is, is there a story of grit, resilience, and connection that has been an inspiration for you?
1: I love when I see inspirational things. Although, you know what I did see on YouTube, this kid is a black kid who whose uh, home he lived with his mothers, just the two of them got uh, destroyed in Katrina uh, during Katrina. And he got a job, the job was 20 minutes away, and he was lucky to get it. And when he was heading to to work, his raggedy car died. Uh, Actually, the day before, he knew he couldn't afford to lose this job because he had to support himself and his mother. And he googled how long it would take to walk. Google said it would take seven hours to walk 20 miles. He got up at 12 o'clock at midnight to be to work at seven o'clock in the morning. As he's walking to work, about the halfway point, a cop pulls up behind him and starts following him. And so he thinks what any black kid is going to think of a cop car is following you. Cop is like, what are you doing? Because, of course, walking in (laughs) his dark and you're black. (laughs) Of course, you're up to no good. Right. And so he said, I'm walking to work. And... The cop says get in the car the cop drove him the rest of the way to work a white cop mm-hmm. and when the company that he was working for heard about it the owner of the company a moving company drove out there to meet him gave him his car um, it just goes to show that all black kids aren't up to no good and all white cops are not bad we have to allow for the goodness in, in each other. And so I'm inspired by those kinds of stories. Uh, I believe in humanity. I believe that racism can be ended. I believe that we're not stuck hopelessly in this. I don't know that I'll see the end of it, but I believe it can happen. We can certainly make changes. and And I kind of operate from a position of optimism. Some of my Black friends, maybe a lot of them think I'm naive, some of them might think I'm stupid for thinking this way, but I don't follow the path of other people. I believe it. I speak to it. I write about it. And I think I can make a difference and change in the world. And, and that's what I'll be doing with the rest of my time here.
0: I love it. I think it's, it's just fascinating, given your childhood and your family upbringing, that you've emerged with so much optimism and hope. That's an inspiration. I find that very inspiring. Thank you, so,
1: thank you. Well, everything for a reason.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of wisdom there.
1: Well, thank you. Thank very you so good. much. Ken. Thank Have you. Have a great evening. All right, you too. Bye. Bye now.
0: Thank you for joining today and hearing Ken's thoughts about self-esteem, sensitivity, creativity, policing, and Black Lives Matter. The story about talking to himself and saying the words his father never spoke to him brought tears to my eyes. I hope you've enjoyed the Three Men of Color Redefining Fatherhood series. Next week, I'm starting a new series, A Four Badass Black Woman. My first guest is Libra Ford, Chief Operations Officer for Self-Enhancement, Inc., which provides culturally specific services for underrepresented youth and families in the Portland metro area. Libra stands at six, six foot five inches tall and is a former pro athlete and business owner. She has an MBA, is a certified life coach, and serves on the North Clackamas school board. She is a powerful presence and you won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening to the Finding Fertile Ground podcast. Our music is by jazz pianist Jonathan Swanson. This podcast is brought to you by Fertile Ground Communications. We help organizations and people discover what makes them special and help them share that with the world. Look us up on FertileGroundCommunications.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a rating and subscribe to hear our next episode.